Welcome everybody to episode two of the Creators Forum, and I am so happy to welcome Tevi Hirschhorn. Uh, Tevi is a product, uh, product and design leader located in Israel. Um, he's worked with companies like Disney and Time Warner and Dell and Nectar Sleep, and uh, I am honored to call him a dear friend. Uh, I've benefited from his advice uh, for several years now, and, um, and I really, really look forward to this conversation. So welcome, Tevi. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So once again, uh, just to remind you and everybody else that the goal of this um, show, podcast, whatever it may be, is really takeaways for people in the marketing and creative space. Like I want to make sure that they have these nuggets of gold when they walk out, because oftentimes podcasts kind of can just flow and run and like, Got, I've had that in other areas in my podcasting space. Um, never. Never, no way, except for the three, four hour, you know, juggernauts. But uh, this is not that. This is much more, uh, <laughs> much more succinct. And uh, we're going we're gonna to launch it with the question, what are the ingredients to an amazing product? All right. So I, I would say, first of all, um, it's, it's less like a recipe of individual ingredients. An amazing product is more like a beautifully presented plate. So it's the total experience. It's got, it's got the structure, the, the looks delicious, smells good, tastes amazing, got layers of flavor. Um, it leaves you feeling good afterwards and thinking about the experience you just had. Satiated. So total experience. Satiated, okay. yes. Feeling it's full, satiated. feeling good. Okay, I like yeah. how everything went so, straight so up food. Good, a good product, straight up food. I think I think we can make this run through the entire. This analogy could probably run through the whole. That's whole life. Life. life is food. Um, a good product. <laughs> okay, um, so a good product has has all that. It makes you feel like it was created just for you. This is oh, this is my favorite dish, and and that's a very personal experience. It's an intimate feeling. So a good product has that same thing. It feels like it was made for me. It solves my need perfectly. Um, it has the delighters. It's the total experience. It's a total package. Um, and it solves my problem, like being hungry. So that that's a good product. But an amazing product is one that that takes it to the next level. It's the perfect experience. It's like the perfect dining experience at an amazing restaurant. Um, it's got all the, the components on the plate. And then at the end of the day, it's still a business. So people need to pay for that product. People need to pay for that dish. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, is, is there a product? Like what, what's your favorite product? If you can think about, you know, in your experience, like this is, this is the quintessential product from everything from, you know, uh, beginning to end, the experience of, of ordering it to receiving it, opening it, or, or maybe it's not like a physical product. Maybe it's a, a SaaS product, a digital product, a whatever. Like, what what comes to mind when I say, "What's your favorite product and why?" So, I I actually one of my favorite products is what I'm sitting on right now. My chair um, was very chair. expensive, but I, I I was in excruciating pain for for like years, and I, I was hurting my back, and I was working from home, and I had a good desk, and I had a good computer, and I had a good space. Um, but I never spent money on a good chair. And someone told me, like, listen, it's, it's time to get a good chair. You'll, you'll appreciate it. It was like $1,000. And I did a lot of research to figure out the right kind of chair. And I got, I got a steel case gesture. And it looks beautiful. It's a very nice design. 
okay. and it's comfortable and and it seems to always work no matter what position I'm in. I could be sitting up straight working, I could be like leaning back it, and it's just the right amount of tension, the right amount of support and, and comfort. Can we, no can we take a look I'm at this bad boy? Could you, could you show it off? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how much you could see, but looks like it move it looks back like a, a chair. Yeah. I can see. Can you pick it up, or is but, it too? Uh, it's like a heavy. It's a heavy. It, it, it's pretty. It's pretty heavy. heavy. I don't know where we want this podcast to go, but wherever uh, it's going, man. This is this okay. is a chair. <laughs> All right, that's now this legit. Podcast got weird. <laughs> it's almost like when Elon Musk smoked pot on Joe Rogan. It's almost there. Almost, almost, almost there. Like that. Almost that's like that's it. where this is. That's where this is headed. Life. Yeah. Life. Nice. Yeah. You know, I, I actually just got a chair, right? I was so looking forward to this. I was sitting on, uh-oh, uh-oh, lighting, uh-oh, okay. That was, that was, that was crazy. Um, Is this a professional production? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, yes. Yes. Cause things like that don't happen in amateur productions you got to be a pro you got to have lighting to get screwed up if you don't even have lighting it's not going to get screwed up you know what i mean so uh, we, we've had we've seen the biggest malfunctions at the biggest super bowls <laughs> yes that was that was the that was an hour hour and a half delay or something like that anyway it was like six eight years ago okay so i've been sitting on uh my wife's grandmother's chair that she gave us when we came to Israel, um, literally was just destroying my back. It was like one of those 1970s, like puke yellow, you know, like one of those, those things, just metal, just all metal. It's very painful. So my wife was the best ended up saying like, Oh, she's, you know, part of her, she's a nurse and she's a nurse practitioner and they kind of give gifts like in the holiday season. Um, so like you can pick a bunch of things. So she ended up choosing for me, like a nice gaming chair. And I was so excited. I was so excited. And here it is. It's one of these guys. Oh, one, one, one of these guys. Right. I mean, you can kind of check it out. Right. That's like a, it's a bit of a beast. It yeah. is, it is not comfortable <laughs> for some reason. Oh, like, no. <laughs> just doesn't fit it. My it contorts. But I'm I'm trying to be cool. So it's got for the myself. UI, but not the UX. Yes, yes. It's got the UI, not the yes, UX. it is. It is a beautiful chair. It is a beautiful chair, but the experience itself is is lackluster. Um, so for you, you were talking about you know specifically your favorite product is is this chair because ultimately it solved your your massive back problem, and that's a that's a huge problem to uh, to solve. Um, that's but it's not cool. it's not only that it feels like it solved it like for me like it it's like this chair was made for me it feels so right for me mm -hmm. and i use it every day so it's got this like intimate feeling is and, there any like custom it's like, it's my chair. adjustments or something that you can do to it or it's kind of like this yeah, is yeah, just yeah. how it was yeah so totally no there's some adjustments and and so it is kind of mine it also sturdy, so it feels like it'll really last. So it got that reliability going for it, and it, and it looks great too. Very nice, awesome, the chair. Um, now you you were talking about the UX and UI situation and how my my chair is yeah. not fulfilling that. 
Um, can you explain a little bit just uh, about the background between uh, UX and UI and what's the difference and why it makes sense to have both? Sure. So I'll, I'll go back to our food analogy. Mm. Um, the, the user experience, the UX is that total experience um, from when you walk into a restaurant, sitting down, the ambiance, the sound, the decor. And then when your food comes in, it's, it's how it's presented, the smell, the appearance, the taste. That's the total experience. Whereas UI is like just how that food looks. So it's just a tiny slice of that experience. Um, with your chair, it's just, it might look pretty, but it doesn't quite give you that full experience. Gotcha. So, uh, so what's, what's most important? So the, the UX is, is all about the user. It's, you have to do user research. You have to understand who you're designing for. Otherwise, you're designing in the back and you're designing like your best guess, your best idea. And then you come up with a chair like that where they probably didn't have anyone sitting it to, to figure out if it's actually good. Um, so, so they destroy the whole user experience because it's not, it doesn't actually work for you. So you have to understand the problem you're trying to solve. You have to understand who you're solving it for. That requires research testing, usability testing, um, actually speaking to your customers, speaking to your users. It's interesting because a lot of people, they're a little bit afraid to uh, discuss with their customers because number one, they, they might feel like they're coming off as amateurs themselves. Like, you know, if I want to sell you a certain product and then I'm like, would you like this? Would you like that? How does this feel? It kind of gives a, a is like, well, shouldn't you know? You're the pro. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's like exactly. imagine so, like a doctor, you go to a doctor's office and, uh, you know, the doctor said, well, maybe we should do this. Should we treat you with this or should we treat you with that? Like, what would you prefer to be treated with? It's just like, I came to you. You're the pro. So um, totally. So there, there are research methods. You have to do it properly. You're not asking their opinion. You're going to say if, if it's a chair, for example, you're not saying, do you like this chair? You're going to say, we want to include you in the design of our chair. Have a seat. Do you have lumbar support? Do you have mid-back support? You f can you sit there for a long time? Is anything uh, hurting you? And you're asking like very, very specific, clear questions. That's more about research rather than just asking for their opinion. Okay. Wow. I like that. It's a very subtle difference, but it's very, very important because I know a lot of people who are asking like, do you like this? Do you like that? You know, maybe should I try this thing uh, where you're saying, no, we want to enhance the features. You let me know what is something that is enjoyable for you is not enjoyable for you. And that's going to help us better uh, cater this product to you. Uh, and that kind of comes from position of like, oh, wow, like they're fine tuning versus like, I don't, I don't yeah. know where I'm going with this. All right. I like exactly. that. Exactly. And, and then to top that off, people don't always know what they want. So there's a, there was a famous study. I don't remember who it was, but there was a, an electronics manufacturer that was trying to find out what color their stereo should be. It was a boom box. This was a while, a long time ago, back in, in the days when people had boom boxes and they were asking people, do you like the black or do you like the yellow? And most people voted on yellow. It was bright. It was it was cool. It was it was fun. Um, and I think your time as as participation um, to thank you for your participating in this in this research study. Feel free to take a boombox on your way out. Almost everybody took a black one. Wow. So they all thought yellow looked great, but when it came to like, do I want to be seen with a bright, flashy yellow? Like maybe it's a bit too much. They all chose the black. So so there maybe one or two took the yellow but it was like overwhelmingly everyone said they wanted yellow, but then overwhelmingly took black. Wow. 
that's that's awesome that's better um that's really looking at the the actual result as opposed to the the quote unquote desired you know the the claim that that that's what they want i mean i've i've had that a exactly. lot especially in you know this is the creators forum and we're creative people and in that space it is so difficult i mean i've i've worked on on edits where they it's they said i i asked like can you give me directions for example i was i was working on on ads on facebook ads and they kept on telling me to like, can you change this? Can you move that? Can you do this? And I was like, well, wait a second. Like I, I can't, I can do all that stuff, but what's your formula? Like, what are you actually looking for? And they said, we don't know. We'll only know when we see it. And that makes it a much more difficult feel experience. Right. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and that makes it a significantly more experience, uh, difficult experience yeah. than when somebody actually does understand, you know, this is what I want. Um, and I, I like how you basically are saying it's not about what people say. It's about what, what they do. It's their actions. And so, uh, you know, in the last yeah. podcast, I was speaking with Jonathan Kahn, and he said one of his research methods is he kind of pays attention to what people are reacting to online and, and his digital, um, you know, advertising or whatever, like what ads are actually getting the clicks and not what people are saying, but what are, what, what's driving the results? Um, you know, once again, to, to stay with the ad comp ad advertisements and ad companies is that, you know, they're like creatives, great and all that stuff. But if it's one word, like they were talking about, like they showed a, a banana or an apple, you know, and it didn't matter whatever the product was, is that the, the thing that had the apple in it, that got the most clicks. So they're like, we got to go by click. So, you know, um, ultimately actions yeah. drive results. So I guess that's what it works with the uh, UX and UI as well. Than words. Seriously. And yep. truer than words. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've, you moved from kind of the UX UI design world into more of like the product world. So can you explain for us people who, you know, aren't hundred percent familiar with, with what it means. Like when somebody says oh, I'm ahead of product, I don't know, like UX, UI, okay. User experience, user interface. Like I can kind of understand what's going on, but product is such a large, that's just a general word, you know, like what does it mean specifically? So, you know, yeah, to loop so back around, like question. you moved so from UX, UI to, to product and you know, one, what is it? And two, why? So for me, moving from design to product was, was kind of subtle. I, I almost didn't even realize it was happening. Um, I was always more of a of, of a of a design thinker, design strategist, more than like a craftsman. So as as I moved shifted from like strategy, like from from craft to strategy, I ended up like being in product, um, and like that means I would I would more direct the team. I would get good illustrators or good designers, good UI designers, researchers, whoever it was I'm working with. But I was more orchestrating the overall product, and I'd interface with development. I'd, I'd make sure I understood the business side of things, and it just ended up being product. Um, and a part of that is that I, I've always been kind of business focused in general, like outcome focused. So I never liked to do just a purely like the ultimate user experience because it's got to solve that business need. And, and I, I was always good to work with from the business side because I understood that product goal. Um, 
and that's just kind of how it, how it just happened. And I realized that's what I was doing, but so is, is the answers. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, it basically you, you saw a need and you saw what you're naturally were gravitating towards. I mean, this is, this is something that I, I personally am and kind of experiencing, experiencing right now is uh, I've, have a friend of mine who's been saying like, cause I am in the creative space and my whole life I've, I've been in the creative space. I was an actor in high school and a musician and, and an audio engineer. Wow. And, and now it's moved to, you know, you know, video production, all that stuff. And there's a massive part of me that likes the creative atmosphere, but then there's another huge part of me that kind of likes the, like the, or, the, the maestro of the orchestra is that not necessarily to be the one playing the instrument, but to, to kind of putting all the pieces together. Um, and so like for right. me, as, as you're explaining, it, it's kind of like the UX UI is like the people on the ground and like they're the ones who are really doing the creative aspects of it, whereas the product is kind of overseeing the, the, the full field. It's like the bird's eye view of like what needs to actually happen to make sure that this whole thing is a success. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you end up well, missing? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of overlap, you know, there's design thinking, there's design strategy. Um, it's, it's, I just always gravitated towards that area of design and that mm -hmm. kind of just became product. So I've been doing that for, for like, you know, eight, I guess eight years now. Um, I always still do the, the actual design, but to me, that's like something that I, I like to do it, but it's not the part that, that gets me excited. I love like solving a real problem or, or the really cool outcome, a KPI jumping or, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that is, is what excites me. So it just happened to be, I kind of shifted to product um, where some designers kind of go deep onto, you know, they, they just stay on design and they go deep, deep, deep on that, that UI crafting. Um, but that, that wasn't really me. I just kind of moved more and more like broadly and strategically. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, it's also, you know, it's important to understand when a certain phase of, of life seems to be, you know, coming a chapter coming to an end and it's like ready to, to move to the next level. I mean, uh, life brings us uh, pretty wild opportunities. Uh, you know, for me, I, in my background, I, you know, I was in, involved in education and outreach. Um, and then kind of when just life happened and I needed to, to bring in more money, ultimately that was the main driving force. I, I moved more into the business world, which is something that I never thought I would be involved with. Uh, and I just took a job in marketing because I'm like, all right, well, you know, I had to convince people to enjoy the knowledge and enjoy, you know, for, for here was a, you know, Judaism and, and how do you understand Judaism? And I was like, okay, I had to, to take something and creatively package it and, and show it to them in an enjoyable way. So I was like, okay, I can do that for marketing. But then I completely fell in love with it. So sometimes you don't even know you have any interest in an area until you start doing it. And you realize that that's really something amazing. And it just so happened that, you know, I still have a heart and soul in, in teaching and outreach, but but professionally, I've kind of expanded. So uh, I definitely can relate to, to that idea of expanding and gravitating towards something that, you know, is kind of like a really, really gets you going. Um, yeah. All right. So in, in that in that vein, where do you find creative ideas or creative inspiration? And how do you keep traffic track of it? So that, that's a good one. Um, so I I, I still do the creativity stuff, the, the visual design. I love that. I have a lot of other side projects I do. Um, I write and illustrate children's books. Oh, we're going to get there. Um, we're going to get so there. So I'm, I'm, oh, uh, <laughs> I bet. So, so I like to keep track of everything, but I also have ideas that might 
be better for one thing that I'm working on or, or another. Um, if, if I'm feeling like stuck, I'll, I have like a stack of, of old magazines for like with communication arts and um, veranda. I've got, I've got books in all sorts of creative areas like typography, landscape, architecture, um, photography, like, like everything, the, the full gamut of anything creative. And if I'm feeling stuck, I'll just flip through, flip through a book or a magazine. Um, if I'm really stuck on a problem, I'll write down what it is I'm stuck on. And then I'll take a walk, I'll take a shower, I'll, I'll cook myself a, a nice lunch. Um, and usually something like that will, will get my brain thinking about it in the background. I find writing it down, getting it out of my head, like helps me crystallize the problem. And then stepping away and, and doing something that lets my brain just turn off will actually kind of clear things out. Huh. Um, That's... And then to organize, I actually have, uh, I have two notebooks. I have a dot notebook and a blank notebook. The dot notebook is for is for like written notes and what's and a like dot UI. notebook? It's uh like a dot grid. It's got like um Okay. Oh like literally I, I thought it was like a I don't know, a brand or a like made of mink, mink no, fur. No. <laughs> monk? Mink? Mink <laughs> monk. A mink made of a monks. Mink fur notebook. <laughs> Could be. Monks. Oh, it's just a, a, a dot grid. Um here we go. Mongoose. Dot dot grid. Uh, it's like a, it's okay, like a grid, but yeah. it's very it's very light. It's very light grid, and uh, the dots just help you. Like you know, you can make your line. It's not like a an actual grid. It's more for lines. for drawing. So. Yeah, it's like for drawing Sketching. like wireframes, um, UI sketches. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I have a blank one. It's more like for illustration and and drawing. Huh. Okay. So. Uh, and then I and I also put everything into Notion, so all new ideas gets categorized. They get categorized in the right notebook. Um, they get tagged, and I try to review them um, when I'm like working on my books. I'll go look at my recent book ideas and, and notes on that. And if I'm working on a project, I'll go look at the recent project ideas. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Um, speaking with the organiz organization, organized or organize yeah organization not like company as in being actually organized um you seem to be one of the most structured and organized thinkers that i know and you know you know we'll talk about you know uh goals and stuff uh you know in our group and and like you're like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna get this I'm gonna everything is like so you know structured and i'm like uh i'm hoping to accomplish these things blap you know, so is that, is that a part of like your nature? Did you learn it? Did you learn how to be structured? And, um, and what's kind of like your go, you mentioned notion, notion, but maybe we can dig in more into that. Like, what's your, how do you keep track of, of everything and how do you keep it so orderly and what are you like go-to tools? Um, I'd love to figure out that a little bit more. Sure. So I'm, I'm always like continuously improving my, my methods and process. Um, I'm a dad of five kids and now everyone's home and I'm, I'm homeschooling. My wife's a nurse, so she's out of the house. You could relate to that. Um, so it, it's, it's important. I have to be structured or I can't, I can't do anything. It's impossible. Um, also with all the side projects and work and, and looking for new work, it's, it's a, there's a lot to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I try to stay organized. I, one of the biggest things I do is time blocking. So I'll, I'll, you know, for example, say these two hours are devoted to, side projects, these four or six hours are devoted to school. 
I have 45 minute break while kids, while all kids are on Zoom, I could do something. So I'll try to like structure time blocks and then I can, then I can schedule what I'm gonna work on in those times. And I also actually have multiple calendars um, on, on Gmail, on, on Google Calendar. So if I'm, if I'm working on side projects, I'll hide a calendar that's not relevant. So it kind of clears things up and I could, I could focus on it. Um, and I also use Todoist for personal task management. Huh. And do you like, do you wake up in the morning or at like, is there any type of, I don't know, my, my morning I go through my list or like on Saturdays or well, Motsi Shabbat or whatever it is, or Sundays, um, do you kind of like structure your week or your month or is there, is there anything in that world? Yeah, for sure. I, I, every morning I spend like five minutes just looking over my, my list of what, what's happening that day meetings, um, seeing if there's anything in the email that I, that I didn't see the day before and has to be scheduled or planned. Um, and then Sunday, I try to plan the whole week overall. Like I'll have the, the school schedules, kids schedules, um, my wife's work schedule, and, and I'll be able to like plan my week on Sunday. Um, and my, my big thinking day is Sunday because I, I'm, I usually work with U.S. people or, or European people. So Sunday, they're all off. And that's like when I could just like stop and think and plan and do that deep work. Okay, that's that's... That's good. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's one of the things that I've always had kind of like an issue with is kind of like doing, you know, getting my schedule organized. Like, cause you know, the more, I guess the more you progress in life and the more you take on and the more responsibilities you have, the more you're like juggling all these things. And you're like, where am I going to, we're going to, where am I going to fit this stuff in? And I guess, you know, and one of the things I have, I have been thinking about is like blocking out time of like, I have to do this during this time. And, you know, from, you know, seven to nine it's this and from nine to 11 it's that and uh yeah all right that's yeah super important super important i found also there's there's like uh i, I read scott adams has a book um i forget the title it's like, it's like how to fail at almost everything and still win or something like that okay um he, he talks about structuring your day around your energy so like for example i i used to try to read at night before bed i figured hey everyone reads before bed right but i'd always be too tired i'd fall asleep i'd read half a page or i try to read i try to do my my book projects um which is very creative after i was done with my other work but i was then i was burned out and i couldn't i couldn't get my creative juices flowing so i found if i read in the morning with my coffee um i feel a lot more free and anyone who i work with is not up yet anyway because I'm, I'm way ahead of them in, in israel in my times we do live so in I was the able to like read yeah. like we pretty, we pretty much do. I'll tell you, like, I could tell people in California what's going to happen 10 hours from now, you know, like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and, and then after I've read and I've got my coffee, then I'm feeling inspired and I could work on my books and a much more creative energy than I would have if I waited to the end of the day. And then somehow my work, the other stuff still gets done and it gets done well. And I, and I had enough energy to get that. So just shifting around when I did things, gave me more energy and more inspiration to be more productive around those areas. Man, that's, that's something that you, you just nailed it. It's, it's something I'm having, I've been having difficulty with over the past couple of months, you know, because of the whole lockdown situation and, and my, my, my wife working as, as a nurse practitioner and, you know, she has her time, she's got to go in and I'm with the kids. And, and so typically my days now have been starting around like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I notice myself yeah. just 
I'm not in peak zone and it's really hard to kind of just get going and especially in a creative field. And when you're an entrepreneur or not even an entrepreneur, whatever, a small business owner, and you know, you're doing your own thing. It's so hard to kind of get going because everything really relies on, on a flow, at least in, in, in my world, in the creative space, it, it, you need to be flowing. And if you're not flowing, it's going to be very difficult to have a creative project because one thing builds on top of the next. And if you kind of like just stop that mojo, it's just like, oh, you know, where am I going from here? So um, I've noticed that myself is that by starting at four or five o'clock, I'm, I'm not so great. If I start, I know for myself, when I do start off, you know, uh, you know, with praying in the morning and then I do a little bit of learning and like I have that. And even I was working out in the, in the late morning, early afternoon, that got me going. So already, you know, if I'm starting my day, my work day around 12 or one o'clock, that kind of gave me a great running start to really start, you know, moving forward that way, that way by four or five o'clock, that's when I was like in my prime because I, all my wheels were kind of, yeah. uh, you know, oiled and, and, and humming and like four five, six o'clock, I was like, all right, I can go for another 10 hours. But starting at four or five o'clock has been very, very difficult because by the time eight or nine o'clock rolls around, yeah. you know, I'm already kind of, uh, you know, blowing fumes unless it's like a crazy deadline, which somehow that extra energy you know, kind of gets, gets there and you're working until two or three o'clock in the morning that yeah, something like that, but it's kind of like, <laughs> I got to get this done. And I guess because you kind of keep seeing each stage completed, like next, it like gives you another, you know, more energy to be like, all right, I got this done. Like, I can't wait to work on the next thing, you know? Um, but I like that. Yeah. I like that idea about the uh, kind of structuring your day around your energy if it's possible and please God, it'll be possible once again soon. Um, do you have, I'm in. <laughs> seriously, do you have a creative process? I mean, you, you were touching on it before about how, if you have a, or like a writer's block or something, you'll step away from it and you write it down, but is there, let's, let's, you know, let's move into the, into the book world. You know, once again, uh, you know, Tevi is a children's author a multiple children's author, an Amazon best-selling children's author, and uh, an illustrator, an illustrator, an illustrator. Um, how do you go about getting inspired uh, to write that? Like, what what's your creative process? Is it I'm going to set time aside to? And we spoke a little bit about that. Am I going to set, set time aside, or it's like the motivation and inspiration hits you and you know, you got to write it down. Like, is there a process? Is there a template? Is there a form? Is there a method or nope? So no, there, there are processes for each component of it. Um, the overall creative process is the same for, for children's books as it is for, you know, even UI design. It, it always comes down to like, what, what is this about? What's the problem that we're solving? Um, so like for a book, it's, it's who wants to read this? What, what is the core of the story? What's the nugget? that we're talking about who wants to read it and why do they want to read it and then the story is built around that so getting to that like that like first principles about the heart of, the, of this problem that we're solving um and then you could like ideate on that um for for books is a more specific method of course to like creating the story and illustrating it and laying it out um and each, each stage has its own method of course. yeah do you do you write it first and then because uh, you know and then do the il illustration because I, I look at it as as a songwriter i haven't done it in a while but i used to do that quite often 
um i used to, people would say like do, do, when do you write the lyrics when do you write the music do you write the chorus first or do you write the verses or whatever and you know typically for me it, it depended it wasn't always one thing but what always was is i would always write the riffs first i would write the music first and then i would put lyrics on top of that i knew the lyrics would would come later but um you know what what is it in your situation do you have illustrations first do you have the story first so far it's both um for samson the my first book i started with a sketch of this character and i'm like all right who is this kid what what's his problem what's what's the story here and i like created the story around that sketch um and then for Miranda's big idea, I had a story I wanted to tell and I, and I structured and I wrote it down and then actually changed the character um, like midway through. Um, but once I had the full story, then I started sketching and, and illustrating, but it was the exact opposite. So you never know. Interesting. Interesting. So however, however it kind of hits you. Yeah. Very cool. Um, is, is there any, anything that you've seen that has, um, I guess gotten you into like an inspired state. Is there anything have you you've done, or it kind of just like falls from the sky? So it is hard to like create inspiration. Um, to me, energy, like I mentioned before, is the biggest factor. So finding, getting myself in that right state to be able to work was key. Like if you got kids running around the house and it's 4 30 p.m and you know you have a deadline you haven't started working on it's not the best time to start coming up with a creative side project like it, you're too stressed not you don't have the right headspace for that so creating the right environment getting yourself in the right headspace having the right energy to me is most important and that inspiration can come from that i've also actually done things to like set certain goals for myself i created a password um for a while that that was basically a message to myself to continuously work on my on my books. I don't want to say it too specifically, of course, but um, like structure Miranda, my one, two, every three. day. I... Capital M. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Uh-oh. Five. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Um, okay. No, but it was like it was like a message to myself. So every time I logged into my computer, I'm like, all right, I got I got to work on my books today. I got to work on my books today, and and just nagging myself until I, was, I came up with the right plan, structured around my energy and headspace, and then. It came from there. That's, that's, that's interesting. I really, I've never heard you speak about energy. Not, you are the, the least like energy <laughs> type person. Like I'm thinking, you know, people like in Bali, like with crystals, they're like, you know, you just got to tap into your energy just to be, you know, get that creative vibe. But this is, so this I, is great. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, I mean like literal, like, like if you've got a gas tank, and it's all filled up. You got yeah. the energy. So when I got my fresh my fresh coffee at the beginning of the day, mm -hmm. and I know nobody's going to email me or call me for a few hours, like you're then physically I'm not ready for it. I can you're talking literally about energy. Like I, no, I'm just so tired. I <laughs> I just need energy, I'm like physical energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about yeah. anything but also esoteric. The, stress, the mental. Yeah. <laughs> No crystals, no crystals. No crystals, unless it's meth. But it, but if that works for you, man, if that works for if you. If that brings the energy. Whatever, whatever works bring, for bring you. the energy, bring the heat. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, now now we're getting into the uh, into the fun the fun part. Um, okay. Who who's your greatest influence and why? That's easy, but also hard. So my wife is my greatest influence. 
Um, she she pushes me. She questions really? me. Oh, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. Yes. So she, Isn't that she a knows romance when I'm, when I'm full Okay. She's saying she she's she's she that's as far amazing. as the question you said influence that that's the yeah. answer that's the answer um, i she can listen to all I my can crazy hair brained ideas <laughs> um but next i would say well also books so so books are my my biggest influence well wait one second back. one second i want i want to i want to take a quick quick step back to that to that wife thing you said she's your your inspiration because okay. she she listens to you but an inspiration isn't isn't just because they listen to you it's also because they they demonstrate yeah yeah like influence yeah so how does she how does she influence you so she'll question you know an idea she'll she'll question the direction she'll encourage if it's a good idea like she's a good soundboard she'll tell me if if i'm on the right track or not she'll shoot something down like no problem like that's a stupid idea to have you don't don't do that. Let's not waste time on that. We have someone other things to do. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so she influences my direction and my, my productivity for sure. Um, yeah. I like it. And I, you yeah, said, I trust you her said, judgment on that stuff. You said books. Like what type of, yeah, what type so, of books kind of influence your thinking? You don't have a so person. You don't, you don't have management. You can't think of. Okay. Of, fine. A, a create. Okay. A creative influence of mine that, that I would say holds holds true to many facets of my life is Al Hirschfeld. I don't know. Are you familiar with Al Hirschfeld? Amazing cartoonist. He, he, he worked well into his nineties. He passed away, I guess, like 10 years ago or maybe more. I'm not sure, but um, he was a famous cartoonist and he, he had very clean line drawings that looked so effortless and simplistic. Um, and he would do caricatures of people like for sure. You've seen it. He was able to capture anybody's essence with just a couple black strokes like ink hmm. and he was a master at like blind thickness line weight and just capturing people's essence with, with with what looked like just barely any effort at all and that i think influenced me a lot in terms of like simple design like don't don't add more than you need get to the essence of that problem get to the essence of the character of the drawing of the purpose whatever it is you're doing and and do that don't do any more than that and that like influences my design my product thinking to this day that's that's interesting because you know in the once again the music world they said uh, the beauty of music is where music is not played it's in the rests it's when you're not playing the music it's it's the subtraction and uh, i know this is that trying to create something powerful but simple is the most difficult thing ever it's so easy to you know it's like the makeup it's like just putting on makeup and and dolling yourself up and keep on, you know, covering yourself with whatever it is, you're trying to basically make yourself to be something that you're not. Uh, whereas when you're stripped down, at least the product or whatever it is to make it the most simple and basic thing, and that's really powerful, like that is that is incredibly difficult. Um, and when you are yeah. able to, to strive power within simplicity, um, I think that is a very, very, um, powerful thing and and i'll tell you about about your books it's something i've noticed is that that is something that you do your your illustrations um and your concepts are are very simple is not the word um clean and they're not overblown they're not over the top it's just like it, it feels like it's exactly what it needs and no more you know 
I, I spend a lot of time, like, like even just editing words, like if I could remove a single word, it's a kid's book. So there, there's like maybe 200 words in the entire book. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes me crazy when I read a kid's book and it's like, they overly describe stuff. I'm like, I'm looking at the picture. I don't need you to describe it to me. The kid doesn't need you to describe it either. Like we're looking at this picture. So, um, just to, to be very economical in your, in your words and your lines and in, in your product and your features and whatever it is you're doing in life to focus on what matters. Um, that's, that's Al Hirschfeld. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right. What drives you? What, what pushes Mostly you? Mostly self doubt. <laughs> okay. What do you, what do you mean? The more, the more that, I that, learn. Begs, that begs the so, question. Okay. What do you, <laughs> that typically is the anti, anti drive. That's putting it in reverse. Self doubt is like, yeah, no, I'm like out. Got it. No, it's more like, like the more I learn, the more I read, the more I know what I don't know. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's, there's even more. I don't know yet. And I have to go learn it. I have to go master it. I have to go get better at it. And like that, that constant like push to, to, to do better and to learn more. It's like, I don't know. I've always been like, but that. is it, is it in comparison um, to others or is it in comparison to yourself? This just moved into therapy mode. Just let me know. I don't know. Wow. Comparison to others. Am I, am I driving myself to be better than I was? Yeah. Like, do you, yes. Like the, and, the image in your head of yourself, is it, is, is that what's pushing you? Is it like, I, I now have seen a new me or a new potential me because new information or new experiences have come my way. And therefore like I can do so much more. Russell Brunson, uh, hashtag click funnels, uh, once, <laughs> once said, uh, Are get ads now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anybody who clicks on this podcast is now going to be bombarded with ridiculous click funnel ads. Oh my God. Zoom is going to get <laughs> the ads now. Um, oh man. But he said something very interesting and he goes, uh, he just started with online market or online sales, really digital sales. And he was making like a thousand bucks a month and he was like blown away. He was in, he was in uh, college. He's like, I'm making a thousand or $2,000 a month. This is incredible. And then he saw an article from a guy that said, um, I just made my first million dollar day online million dollar day. And he's like, wait a second. I thought I was hitting the lottery by selling, you know, what potato guns online, making a thousand bucks a month. And this guy did it in a day. So he said, listen, I don't know if I can do a thousand dollars in a day, which he said now, you know, at the point of the time he was speaking, like he already did million dollar days, but he's like, maybe I can do it in a year. If he can do it in a day, I can do it in a year. Um, but that was kind of like, him pushing himself. I don't think he viewed the guys like I got to be better than you. I think he saw like Russell Brunson. He, he can now be a million dollar a year guy. So that's my kind of question to you is that, are you looking at Tevi Hirshhorn when you say like self-doubt kind of drives you? Is that because the, there's a new Tevi Hirshhorn that, that I can be and I got to become, or is it like, Oh, I saw this guy in a blog post and, I could totally be, do that too. So I, I think they're similar. Like what you're saying, like Russell Brunson saw this other guy who was making a million dollars a day. Like he took inspiration from someone else. He saw what was possible from someone mm-hmm. else. Um, then he went to work on himself. So I, I do that a lot. I, I, I see what other people have accomplished. Um, and I'm like, 
gosh, I, I, I need to work harder or, or do better. Like if this person can do that, why can't I also do that? Um, interestingly though, as I found, you know, the more product leaders and CEOs and, and amazing accomplished entrepreneurs I've spoken to, a lot of them aren't necessarily as accomplished. They just, they just went for it or they got lucky with the, with the right, you know, thing at the right time with the right people or whatever. And that's comforting because then you don't have to feel bad about your own lack of accomplishment because I didn't get that lucky break yet or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah, um, Steve, Steve but it's Jobs. Also comforting to know that it's possible. Yeah, totally. St Steve Jobs has this quote where he's like, look at all the most successful people. They are nowhere near as like significantly smarter than you at all. Like they're, they're yeah. just not. And I, I think about that often. I, I literally had that thought today of not just they're not smarter than you, whatever. But it was like, you know, as I, you know, Carpentry Media has ventured into kind of scaling content. Like that's the, the newest offer, which is actually the first offer ever, which is repurposing content. And then because I couldn't scale myself, I ended up kind of going more into video production and, you know, corporate testimonials and promos and whatever. Um, but now bringing it back because I'm able to kind of expand my team and move forward. But I was like, why did I not do this? A friend of mine said, well, like, well, you know, isn't this something that you want to do for years? I was like, yeah, but I was just, I guess I was just afraid to take the leap or afraid to even try to do the research to figure out how to take the leap. But, you know, what you're saying is, is that when you look around at very successful people, oftentimes it's really just people who had the, the guts to go for it. And or the ignorance to go for it. <laughs> that's a like good they didn't question. know what they were getting into. I mean, sometimes that's honestly the way it happens. They just go for it. They didn't do the research. Then they then they get up to their neck and they're like, oh my God, what do they do? But they're in it. So they yeah, gotta look, solve it. Yeah, if you have people it. like Mark Zuckerberg or like those like dot com gazillionaires, like he was just a kid in college who's just like, Hey, let's just create a social website and you know, hopefully that's good. And he didn't know he was going to be, you know, creating, uh, you know, uh, 3D glasses and, and, you know, changing elections. Like who, who knew, who knew that was going to be the thing, but there are other people who I, th I think they, I think that's what kind of holds them back is that they know, they know, I, I, you know, just right, right now, everybody's going through this whole Corona thing. Hopefully we're, please God, getting closer to the back end of it than the front end. Uh, I hope it's not still the front end. That'd be wild which it's 2020. So it might be, you never know. But I look at people and they basically are all in. I, I spoke with, I was on Gary Vaynerchuk's, because uh, I always have to mention him in a podcast at least, one, at least once. Uh, I was on his, his show a couple of years back, whatever it was. And at the time I wanted to scale, but I was afraid of scaling, which I ended up pulling back from scaling anyway. But he's like, you have to take a knife to the throat of perfection. You need to not um, worry about everything. Like you'll figure it out. You're a good person. You, you pay him back if it didn't work out. Like, but you got to just go. You got to scale. You got to grow. And it's speed. It's speed. It's agility. It's that's how you build a business. You can't be afraid because if you're going to move slowly, potentially the market can pass you by. However, with this whole Corona thing, I look at the companies that took that mentality and was like, let me grow. Let me, and they had to lay off all their people. And then all of a sudden their business is like done, you know? So it's kind of like, uh, there needs to be a balance between, between the two, um, of moving things forward, 
you know, quickly and, and scaling, but also uh, having the intelligence to understand that, you know, when is the right time and how to do it. And, and that, that is a very, very difficult balance to have. Um, yeah. Okay. Let, let's just go with uh, like two more questions. Um, the first one is what's the greatest professional experience you ever had? Now, that could be anything from like, a, I don't know, a product you worked on or a design or an event that you attended and you just felt like you were like nailing it. Like if you think about your greatest professional experience up to this plate, this point, what, what would it be? So I don't know if I pick the greatest, but something that stands out now in my mind is, is uh, the first time I spoke at a conference. Um, I've, I've got like major stage fright performance anxiety and and like I was afraid to do it but I said yes when, when the guy asked me the conference organizer asked me if I would speak and it was a design conference and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I ended up being like the sleeper hit at, at the conference the headliner asked me oh my god I've never heard of you before where where else do you speak I'm like this is the first time I, I've never done this before everybody came over to me they loved it they said it was funny it was educational they had a great time and it was like it was amazing. I felt like I, I had conquered my fear and not mm -hmm. only conquered my own personal fear, but like delivered a good experience. People enjoyed it. They, they enjoyed what I had to say. And that to me was like one of those feelings where like you can do anything. You, you can you can work at something. You can conquer your own fears, your own demons, your own, you know, difficulties and, and create excellence. Uh, I, I can relate. Um you know, being my, my first, my first ever real desire, uh, professionally was to be a rock star. Like that, that was it. Like huge, <laughs> massive rock star. That's, that's, that's what I was aiming for. And I ended up having a taste of that experience. You had the, you had the hair for it. I remember. <laughs> I did have sure the hair for it the and hair. the attitude <laughs> and a lot of unfortunate, uh, experiences to, to go along with it. Um, but there, there's something about being on stage and performing your, your heart and soul. And just like you put in so much work and you really tried to do your best and you're just presenting yourself, you practice, but yeah, you, you feel nervous. Cause you're like, I don't want to screw it up. Cause basically I'm trying to put my best foot forward and what's going to be if it just falls flat and I'm, you know, what are people going to think of me? And like the greatest thing is when you get out there and you nailed it, like you, you know, you came off stage and you're like, all right, I, that was, that felt good. And then the whole crowd starts coming up to you and they're just like, we're not worthy. You know, like I, I had that experience that the, the thing that comes out was I was, uh, I was, um, in a band in high school and all that stuff. And we played around and, you know, different clubs and here and there, and it was fun, but like nothing we had friends who liked us, but we never really did anything. You know, it didn't really kind of get out of the garage. Um, and then uh, I was, I came back from Israel for the year and I was back in Yeshiva University and they had a battle of the bands. And I actually called up my old high school buddies who I was in a band with. And I said, listen, you know, we hadn't played in years. I was like, I just need, I just wanted to play acoustically just my, myself, but they apparently say you need a full band. Can you guys play with me? They're like, all right, sure. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll help you out. You know, two songs. Okay. So for like a week and a half, we practiced two, three times. I got these two songs down and we played it and it was like, 
it was like we were Led Zeppelin. I don't know. We just did so well. And it was just so over the top compared to like all the other bands in, in college. It looked like we were touring for like decades. Like we had like a big um, like digital screen behind us that was putting like psychedelic like pictures and like, and we were playing with these massive like, you know, uh, amplifiers and and just like I had a, my guitar was like shaped like a lightning bolt. It, it was it was epic. And uh, and we came off stage and literally everybody started running to us. They're like, do you guys have an album? Are you on tour? Like, what are you doing? And we're like, uh, this is the first time we ever played here, you know, with this music. We don't we don't even know. But that that feeling of of like accomplishing, like like I beat my own battle, like I overcome. And that's yeah. like one win. And then all of a sudden, when exactly. everybody else appreciates it, you know, it's it's just it amplifies the whole entire experience. So, uh, you know, I'm really happy that, that you had that. And I hope you speak more often because I Thank think you. it's, yeah, Jerry Seinfeld has, uh, yeah, for sure. Jerry Seinfeld says that like the, the reward for a comedian is not, it's not the money, it's the laughs. And it's like, that's the payment. Like when you hear people are laughing, you know, it's working, you know, you're actually doing good at what you're doing and like it, you're making people happy. Like that's awesome. So when you get that immediate feedback from a crowd, like for me, it was a lot, it was like 600 50 people or something like to me that was like a huge audience yeah um and and just that immediate like feedback that i could see everyone was happy i could see that they appreciated it um made me feel good and i and yeah i conquered my inner demons and also made a whole lot of people happy yeah that's huge you know i've had that i used to speak and when i was a teacher i'd you know once in a while be asked to speak in front of a group or whatever and it, it was always amazing not when you're speaking and like you can see people listening or not listening or whatever it's when you finish and people start coming up to you afterwards and they start asking you yeah. on what you said it's just like that that hit you like this actually affected yeah. you and and it hopefully changed you a little bit so uh you know that that is also a, a massive thing just from a human perspective to to be able to influence others i mean i think maybe that's why this influencer culture that's like the new thing. Like everybody wants to be an influencer because there's this desire of like, I have so much to give as a, as a human. And most of the time we're not able to really give beyond, you know, our, our, our small circles is that, and, and even that the small circles kind of, um, they love you, they care for you, but it's kind of like a little bit taken for granted. Cause it's like, it's here and it's every day. Whereas like, if you're, you influence somebody that you don't necessarily see on an everyday basis, it has a, a much greater impact. And for you, you're like, wow, like I'm going way outside and um, you know, it feels pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And actually to bring it back to product, um, that's one of the cool things about product is that when, when you make a change or you roll out a new feature or you, you do something and you affect the KPI and you see, you know, immediately like, like 1200 users, you know, go up or whatever, whatever the KPI is, whatever the metric you're affecting people like instantly. And you can see that effect on a dashboard somewhere. That's like, that's really exhilarating to see that impact. Seriously. Yeah. Well, especially when you can <laughs> hopefully see a monetary uh, aspect of that, you know, following in the wake. Um, well, okay. Yeah. Um, and okay. I, I said two more questions, but I really want, I, I really want this one and then we'll get the last question which isn't even really a question. The last question. Um, what was your favorite book as a child? Okay. Um, 
and why. I for some reason, the, the book. So, so it's it's a book I actually looked for, and it, it looks like it's out of print. But um, Slappy Hooper, world's greatest sign painter, was like my favorite book as a kid. Is that what and it was called? I've, have you ever heard? Yeah. Slappy Hooper. You never heard of this? The world's greatest sign painter. World's, yep. And it was about this guy that would paint signs that were like so real that, you know, birds would try to eat the donut on the, on the bakery sign or, you know, all these things would happen because these signs were so real. And it was like such an imaginative story. And I love the, the, the art in the book. Um, but I think it's out of print. I, I'm, I tried to look for it a while ago. So it was the fact that it was like so real and so over the top and so creative yeah, it was just like an inspiring story for me. It's interesting to think about like what 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 inspires an individual as as a child. Did did it stay with you? Do you think it's it stayed with you? Yeah. And in, in, I, I always I always think about this book all the time. I wanted to get it for my kids. Um and I don't remember all of the story. I just remember the like little bits in my mind of like the things that happened because he painted such a real sign and then he painted something in space or whatever. I don't remember. It was some hmm. crazy thing. Very cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tevi, I have to thank you so much. Thank you for your expertise and thank you for your time. Um, it was really, really enjoyable. And uh, how can people contact you? if They want to, uh, to follow up a little bit. So I'm on Twitter. I'm at Tevi H T E V I H. And on my website, and you can include the link in the show notes, tevster.com. Okay. My email is there as well, um, T-E-V-S-T-E-R.com. All right. Tevster.com? Yeah. Great. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much, Tevi. You are seriously the best. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Peace. Have a good day.